Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Every March, people around the world celebrate International Women's Day, a day to recognize the social, economic, cultural, and political achievements of women. It's also an excellent occasion to reflect on participation of women in the Canadian business world. Because make no mistake, diversity is a business issue, and it does affect the bottom line. I'm Emily Jackson, and this is Down to Business. This week, we're joined by Camilla Sutton, President and CEO of Women in Capital Markets. Camilla and I spoke at the Post studio in Toronto, where I asked her to tell me a bit about her organization's mission. So Camilla, thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. Tell me a bit about your organization's mission. So WCM has been around for 25 years. We work to accelerate diversity in Canadian finance. We do that in three core ways. One is building the pipeline of women from, we start in high school, we go all the way up to executive. The second is doing our own research and educating. And the third is through advocating. So what is the state of gender diversity in corporate Canada today? It's really mixed. So what is the state? It's great, the state, in terms of engagement, discussion, commitment, all of those pieces, exceptional. We've come miles and miles and miles, even in the last few years. What is the state in terms of numbers and representation? Very, very low and very disappointing for many. I think for many of us who work in this space of diversity and many of those who lead big corporations, they feel like we've done, we've committed more than what the results have yielded. And so I think for many, they're disappointed in terms of when, when we really look at what is the representation of women in significant leadership roles, it's still very disappointing. How disappointing? You know, what, what are those numbers when we're talking about female CEOs or board of directors? CEOs are very depressing. 4% of Canadian listed companies have a female CEO. CFOs, only 15, 1-5% of Canadian listing companies have a CFO at the helm. When we think about boards, I think there's a massive misconception about what's happened in the board space over the last many years. What we have today is that we have 17, 1-7% of boards are female. Um, so that still means 83% of board of director positions are still male. And so we have miles to go. Even in 2019, of new board seats, only 33% were filled by women. So if the goal is to get to 30 and only 33% of new board seats are being filled by women, we still have miles and miles and miles to go. So now this might be the obvious question, but why is that the goal to get more women on these boards, to get that 30% representation? Why do we want more women involved in capital markets? I think there is a very well-respected answer, which is diversity yields better returns, diversity of thought yields better business performance, diversity will yield stronger economies and stronger capital markets, and that's really good for everyone. I think the flip side to that story is, why wouldn't we? We make up 50% of the population. We make up more than 50% of those graduating with university degrees. Why do we have to prove that it's actually better with more women? Um, I'm prepared to argue it's better with more women because I do believe the stats. But I also think that the reality is there is a business case piece to this, but there is also just what is right and what is fair. 
I think that that's an interesting point. You know, when we talk about the evidence, the evidence is on returns. At first, can you speak a little bit more about that before we dive into the second point? Sure. In terms of the business case, almost every single uh, academic research has proven in all different ways that regardless of what financial measure you're looking at, it improves when there's more diversity and the diversity in leadership and diversity at the board level. And so it doesn't matter if you're looking at earnings or revenues or if you're looking at some of the ratios, all of those pieces improve to some degree when there is diversity. It's the same when you look at risk metrics. It's the same when you look at almost any quantifiable metric there is. They do improve even slightly, but it always improves when there's more diversity in leadership. Then on the other hand, it's more of an attitude piece. It's more of a why not have women in these positions. And one thing we often hear people say is, you know, we shouldn't hire based on gender. We should hire the best person for the job. So when we hear that, you know, that sort of implies women aren't the best person for the job, just given the fact that they're not represented at these top levels. I'm wondering what you make of that sort of attitude shift or lack of shift. I agree wholeheartedly that we need to be hiring, promoting based on merit. I think it should give us pause for thought as to why we don't have more women and frankly, more non-white people who are actually able to make it into leadership in significant amounts. And I think because we don't have a significant representation of either women or ethically diverse backgrounds, I think that gives us pause for thought that there are a lot of structural barriers within organizations that are actually limiting progress. Whether they're intentional or completely unconscious is a different issue, but the reality is I think there's a lot of structural barriers within our systems that have put more barriers in front of those who are not part of the white male majority. And so on the back of that, it creates internal hurdles so that uh, deciding that you want to hire, promote on merit is absolutely the right way to go. But then it gives pause for thought around how are we judging those? And is our scale actually a fair and equitable scale? What are some of those structural barriers? There's lots. I mean, there's there's a tremendous amount be having been written about bias, for instance. So there was a study done in the U.S. where a um, lab technician um, decided to, like, hire? How do you hire? And so they did equal resumes, exactly the same, except the name was changed. And not only were the male candidates favored um, more than double as the women, but when they asked about starting salary, the male candidates, the expect the um, what people were willing to pay was 14% higher than the exact same resume that just had a female name at the top. So there's tons of bias built in that many times we don't even recognize in ourselves. And those are some of the structural pieces that just play out over time in terms of promotions, performance reviews, even pay. And so all of these pieces wrap together to create a structural barriers that aren't always obvious when you're part of the culture that actually limit the ability for some groups to be able to advance. We've been talking mostly about gender diversity, but as you mentioned, there are other types of diversity, whether it's based on a person's physical abilities or the color of their skin. I'm wondering, are you seeing the same sort of structural biases when it comes to those factors? How does that interplay with what you see women facing? 
Any group that's not part of the majority faces lots of different structural barriers. One of the interesting things is when it comes to women, people often tell me, well, women really want to stay home with the family. Women really want jobs that are super flexible so that they're able to spend more time with their families. And if that were true, I think that we wouldn't have as much of a discrepancy in terms of how different ethnic ethnic backgrounds are able to advance or how different sexual orientations are able to advance. And so I think there's this whole disconnect where really what we need to be talking about is the majority versus minority cultures. And in those minorities are all the things that don't make up the majority. So female or other genders, sexual orientation that is different than the majority, ethnic background that in Canada is non-white. And there's a whole bunch of pieces. And I think the story here is that when you're not part of that majority, you just naturally are slightly disadvantaged due to some of the structural barriers. It's an interesting point that you know, oh, women want to stay home and uh, have those flexible jobs so they can spend more time with their families. It reminds me of the classic Sheryl Sandberg lean in thing where she pushes women to lean in until they are making that choice and sort of puts the onus on women to take that step. And I mean, I went to business school. I do remember more women choosing, say, marketing versus finance, Lots of women in accounting, but not as many in finance. So I'm wondering, how do you see those choices playing into this overall structural situation we have? I think in finance in particular, we haven't done a great job of highlighting the major impact you can have. If you work on the sell side, so that's the bank-owned dealers or independent dealers, you're actually part of the economy growing. You lend money to banks, to um, small organizations. You actually help them grow. You provide advisory services. All of that helps the economy grow. If you're on the buy side, say you're at a pension, you're stewards of pension assets. You have a major, major impact. And so I think in terms of what we've done at the student level, we haven't done a good enough job highlighting that careers in finance are not about stock picking. Careers in finance are really, really impactful, and careers in finance are desperate for diversity. They recognize that the industry is forever changing, and they need diversity of thought. I think when you really look at the way that men and women have chosen their career paths, a lot of it is based on what they perceive the culture to be, what they perceive the impact to be, and we've done a terrible job in really highlighting what finance really is. Now, you've been in finance, in capital markets for two decades now, um, most recently as Scotiabank's global head of foreign exchange. What sort of changes have you seen over the years when it comes to women in capital markets or attitudes towards women in capital markets? There's been a ton of change. There's been full recognition that we need to drive diversity within finance, one. There's been authentic recognition and commitment from the very top that this needs to be done. Not why it needs to be done, but this just needs to be done. It's a business priority. Um, I think you see a massive change in terms of how we're approaching it. For a long time, it was all about, let's help the women. Let's give the women more leadership training. Let's give the women some more additional mentoring. That must be what they're lacking. And I think all those women in leadership events. That's right. I've been to one or two and we used to host them. Um, I I mean, it's not a terrible thing, right? But it's a journey. I often just put it on the other hat and I'm like, oh, what if they had a men in leadership event? Not that they need one, but go on. It is a learning journey, but I think we've really shifted the focus around what can organizations do. So what can organizations do in terms terms of instead of debiasing the per- person through unconscious bias training, how do we debias the process? So in terms of capital markets, they've done a phenomenal job in terms of recruiting. 
they've de-biased the process. And by that, that means they ask standardized questions, they have criteria, they measure the questions against the criteria. There's a score. That score is how they end up um, hiring young grads. And that has been a phenomenal change that's actually brought in a lot of new talent. The place that is still lacking is on the retention side. What we see from all of our research at WCM is that on the retention side, the women aren't demanding more flexibility. The women aren't demanding leadership courses. The women are demanding to be proven that it's an equal playing field. So for instance, some of our research highlights that men believe, 75% of men believe that they're equally paid to other genders, and only 34% of women believe they're equally paid to other genders. This might be reality or this might be perception. And so the, the problem with that is that you have all these women not convinced that they're being equally paid, which creates a massive frustration. And so for firms, that means it's time. Do a gender pay audit, commit to fixing any discrepancies, release your HR processes that really highlight how you're confirming that you're paying men and women equally. And when you start to do all of those things and you add transparency to the process, the perception part at a minimum will close. And the reality part, if there is one, will also close on the back of it. And so I think we've come a long, long way in how we're approaching it. We still have miles to go. You spoke about the pay gap a little bit and whether that's perceived or real, the statistics are something like women in Canada make 87 cents on the dollar for doing the exact same job as a man would do. In finance, is that more pronounced, less pronounced? How does that relate to the financial world? It's really hard to know because we don't have exact numbers on that. And so what happens is, is we get stats like that that are well documented in Canada. And for a lot of women, that gives pause for thought. Does that mean I'm only paid 83 or 87 cents on the dollar to the man who sits right next to me doing exactly the same job? And so that's why it's the burden on the corporation to prove that they are. We don't have exact stats from the financial markets around how pay is being delivered. Almost all of the large organizations are federally regulated, and so they have dual commitment that they are doing so. I do think there is a bit of perception and there's probably a bit of reality, but we get through that by being really transparent. Transparency sounds like a, a very admirable goal and one that could actually make some changes here. What are some other ways you think we need to be encouraging more women to get into finance, into capital markets? I know you've spoken about mentorship in the past and other, other sort of methods like that. Well, at the university level, it's well, at the high school level, it's really about encouraging high school girls to stick with STEM academics until at least the end of high school. It's a tragedy that you can move out of STEM in grade 11. And so that's a really big focus for high school. For university, it's really about highlighting the impact you can have with a career in finance and the fabulous careers you can have in finance and how different they all are. When you get into retention and those pieces, it's really about um, having the firms do the work and not the women. So we run lots of different programs around mentorship. We probably have some of the biggest programs at both the university level and the professional level. But the reality is for retention to really move higher, it's the firms that have to do the work. And our role as a partner to those firms is one, to have a place where we can all network together, to have a forum for really forward thinking discussion, and also to, to push and pull a little bit in terms of how, how can we approach this differently. So I think there's lots of pieces that firms can do, but it's really on the firm. It's not on the women to really lean in or have a seat at the table or take up your space. Every woman is very, very different and those resonate very differently with different styles of women. And so it's really about the firms doing the work to make sure that their processes are completely debiased, to making sure that they've weeded out any kind of harassment in their culture, to make sure that they have a culture that's really about progress and really about the way of the world that's 
that we're moving towards, which is all really positive. And all of that helps to build a much stronger economy, much stronger capital markets. So there's a really big win-win here for Canada. You touched on uh, harassment. Obviously, in the past couple of years, the Me Too movement has really changed the conversation around women in business as women from around the world came forward with stories about discrimination and harassment that they've faced on the job. How has this affected the conversation in the finance industry, which has been very male dominated? I think the positive side of Me Too has been it's really awakened a whole new discussion. And for a lot of people, I think part of the surprise of Me Too was that for the women, they were like, yep, me too, me too, me too. And all the men were like, what? No, her too? So-and-so just lives down the street? So-and-so who I work with? And it was almost like this aha moment where it was this huge realization at how pervasive the issue is and had become. And so I think that that provided a really good room for dialogue around how can we stop this? What are the tools we have in our toolkits to be able to intercept this? Um, But I do think there's been an entire dialogue that we're having now, thanks to Me Too, that we really weren't having five years ago. There's also been, in some industries, some backlash to this dialogue. I'm wondering, has have you seen any of that in Canada's finance industry? I haven't seen it firsthand. I've heard, you know, stories here and there. So-and-so doesn't want to have a closed-door meeting with a, with a woman anymore for fear of what might happen. I'm not really convinced that that's happening. And if it is happening anywhere, the reality is that you need to treat men and women equally. So if you're uncomfortable having a closed door meeting with a woman, that means you're uncomfortable having a closed door meeting with a man. Otherwise, it's very, very obvious discrimination. And so I think, you know, there there's a place here where you just think, if I'm uncomfortable doing that with a woman, I am uncomfortable doing that with a man, and I need to treat both se- both absolutely equally. And so I haven't heard specific real stories. I've heard kind of the same rumor mill stories that I think are more about getting headlines than they're really progressing or pushing the, the entire movement forward. Do you think this movement could have an effect of inspiring more women to to you know stay in careers that were once male-dominated? I know we've talked about how the onus needs to be on the firms, on the corporations to take this action to be a bit more transparent. But on on the flip side, how do you think it's affected women who are in the workplace? The interesting thing for women, and again, we deal with finance and capital markets, so it's a sliver of the Canadian economy. But the most of the women in that industry have way more choice. And so as they get frustrated at work and they're not sure that they're being paid the same, they're not sure they have equal opportunity at promotion, they're not really convinced that they have equal opportunity at some of the opportunities within the firm outside of promotion. They worried that their performance evaluation might not be fair and filled with bias. Those are almost straws on the camelback. And when women have choice, because it's very easy in today's socio world, that if you leave the workforce to take care of your children or to do something else or to follow altruist, like, you know, really altruistic path, that's very well regarded for women. For men, they don't really have that same choice. Lots of men do choose to stay home, but it's a very different choice than for women. And so I think as women have all those choices, until they're not frustrated, until all of those straws come off of their backs, they'll continue to choose not to be retained by the industry as much as they could. So I think there is a recognition of that now. And I think we're really moving to some interesting places where firms are really trying to figure out, how do 
I prove equality? How do I show our women? And even when you think about an organization like ourselves, Women in Capital Markets, we're the only association that works the way we do. Each one of our sponsor firms has their own internal diversity and inclusion strategy, but they all know in order to accelerate change, we need to come together at an industry level. And so it's that industry level piece that makes it super interesting because we're able to do things that you can't do as individuals. So we run a returnship program for women coming back into finance after they've taken several years out, usually to care for family, sometimes new Canadians as well. And that provides a whole on-ramp where all of the banks and all of the asset managers join together, say, we're going to run this program together. We will not fight for talent until the end line because it's more important to us that we actually build the pipeline of women in finance than one individual organization gets one woman. And so that's a really big positive story that gives me hope for the future. What about on the government policy side? We've talked corporate, individual, when it comes to any sort of government directives, what do you see as gaps there or things we need there in order to help get to gender parity or some semblance of equality between the genders? I know the big thing that people always talk about is Trudeau's because it's 2015 comment and the 50-50 cabinet split. Other things that are often top of mind are childcare know, it's cheaper in Quebec. And oh, wouldn't you know it, more women in Quebec go back to work after they have started a family. So I'm wondering, do you put any focus on that? And what sort of things do you look for there? You know, part of government's role is to solve those really big problems that we face as a society and to push us forward. And there's so much more we could do there. Childcare, high, high, high on everyone's list. It is really, really difficult in order to find child care and to find child care that's actually at a reasonable cost in Ontario, certainly. Um, so that's a big one. I think when you look at the other places that governments have gone, certainly forced disclosure has been a massive one globally. Um, forced targets have also been a massive one globally. Those are places that I think Canada's looked at. We haven't chosen to yet. So if you take something like the OSC, um, their complier explain. So either you needed to have a certain percentage of women on boards or you had to explain why not. I was really hopeful that that was a great Canadian compromise and that we would see terrific, great things happen with it. And what we saw was really very, very, very slow movement, if any. And that's disappointing. Why do you think that was? Well, I just think it's not strong enough. In hindsight, I think I can recognize the complier or explain just isn't a strong enough piece in order to really drive change. People tell me all the time, you know, all of the pieces of, well, we can't find qualified women. If we could find qualified women, we would love to have them on our boards. And the reality is that's one, insulting to all of the qualified women that are out there. And two, there are several board lists. We have one, a whole host of organizations run women board lists that are board ready women. So if anyone is having trouble finding uh, women who are capable and qualified for their boards, all they need to do is pull up one of the many uh, board-ready lists, including our own, and they'll see tons, dozens of women who have incredible credentials. And so I think, you know, when it comes to things like comply or explain, it was a great idea, but in proof, it, you realize we actually need to do a lot more. And as Canada, we're behind the G7 on a lot of these issues, so we need to do more and faster. How do we compare to, say, the U.S. or Europe when it comes to the percentage of women we have in these leadership roles or in finance? So it's it's we're disappointing in many ways. Um, certainly in Europe, they've had a lot more on the regulatory side that's forced a lot more change very rapidly. 
We're behind in the U.S. on many fronts, and in some fronts we're similar. I think what we have now working for us is we have momentum in Canada. We have uh, we have a political system that is geared for it. We have enough discussion that is really starting to drive real change and starting to move away just from talking and moving really towards how do we drive equality. And so I think, you know, there's hope on the horizon, but all in all, Canada doesn't rank the way many of us would think it would first in the G7. That's not our place in the world right now. Camilla, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate your time. It's my pleasure. Happy International Women's Day. Happy International Women's Day. One of the best days. Absolutely. Every day should be International (laughs) Women's Day. (laughs) Thanks again. That was Camilla Sutton, CEO of Women in Capital Markets. Thank you so much for listening to Down to Business and thank you to the Down to Business team. Music and production by Bryce Hall and editing by Yadula Hussain. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend and rate us on your podcast app. I'm Emily Jackson, and until next week, you can get all your business news at financialpost.com.